0: Well, it's good to see you. We had a quick week in Ocean City with uh, Jones family and a family reunion. It was great to see family, and it's also, again, great to see family. So it's good to be back. We want to pick up again on the whole theme of the red letters of Jesus, but for me, for this time, I'm going to venture out of Matthew and we're going to go into the Gospel of John, and I want us to look today at John chapter 3. And John 3.16 is one of those famous passages of scriptures, one of those verses of scriptures that most Christians can quote, and that even many people who we don't know who are maybe far from God, they can at least quote parts of it. This is that verse that the guy in the end zone will hold up, so everyone will see the John 3.16, or the guy on the sidelines, you know, the, the basketball game or other place, they're going to hold up the John 3.16, but there's more to the context and the conversation. So I want us to kind of flow through that and walk through that today. So let's do this. Let's read through John chapter 3. I'm going to go down to through verse 21. Then we'll have a word of prayer and we'll jump into it. So it says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whoever or whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Jesus replied, Are you a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Truly I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Let's pray together. Father, over these next few moments, as we take time to walk through your word, and to think of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Father, first of all, I want to say thank you that Nicodemus initiated this conversation as he was seeking and searching and and asking questions in and of himself. Father, thank you for this conversation and thank you as well that we can take time today to to reflect on on the multitude of things that Jesus said here that really have an impact for us and how we live and how we interact with you. Father, guide our time this morning, I ask, in Jesus' precious name, Amen. Well, let's do this. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2. And then there's a couple things I just want to touch bases on. It says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. A number of things going on here. I highlighted some of them in our notes for you. And let me just kind of touch bases on those things so that we're looking at this and we're kind of on the same page. First of all, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You would assume that because it's toward the beginning of the book of John, but also if you were to go back into chapter 2, you would see that this is immediately on the heels of kind of the beginning portions of Jesus' ministry. Jesus clears the temple at two different times. He clears the temple at the beginning of his ministry, and he clears the temple at the end of his ministry. And here he is at the beginning of his ministry, and he's clearing the temple. He's chasing out. He's overturning the tables. He's driving out the money changers. All that kind of stuff is going on. So this is the, the first time it's towards the beginning of his ministry. But enough things have happened at this point in time that Jesus has caught Nicodemus's attention. You don't go into the temple, overturn tables, rebuke the money changers, and rebuke the people that are going on there without getting the attention of some of the Jewish leaders. And as a Pharisee and a Jewish leader, this would catch Nicodemus's attention. Another thing that's going on, the ministry of John the Baptist is still in the forefront of people's minds. So in a moment we're going to talk about being baptized or or being washed with water. I think there's a couple of things going on there. But as people are looking at Jesus' ministry and as they're starting to engage with Jesus' ministry, they are also having in their context and in their understanding the ministry of John the Baptist. He's right on the heels. John is the herald. He's the announcer. And so all of that ministry, all of that baptism stuff... Right in the forefront of people's awareness and people's thinking. Now, Nicodemus is a well-educated, he is a well-informed individual, he is a teacher, he is a respected member of society. Nicodemus is the guy who would walk through town and he would get the respectful nods. He's the one that everyone would see and he's the one that everyone would acknowledge. He's one of their leaders. He's, he's a teacher. Well educated as I'm saying. He is on the in crowd. So he would be seen and acknowledged by everyone as they're coming through town. Lastly, as I said, he is well-connected. He is in the power structure. He's among those in town and in the, in the community, in the, in the leadership of the, of the nation of Israel that's on the inside. He's not one of the outsiders. He's on the inside. So, And I would also kind of say it like this. He's probably not like a congressman or a senator. He's like one of the people working with the president. He's one of the people in the president's cabinet kind of thing. He's connected. And so, again, as he's functioning in life, this is who he is. So this is the guy who shows up to have a conversation with Jesus. Well-informed, well-connected, well-established, highly-respected And he shows up to have a conversation with Jesus. Now it says here he shows up at night. And there are a multitude of different thoughts and a multitude of different ideas that go around with this. I think probably from my thinking, there are two key things that are probably most significant going on. First, he probably wants to go see Jesus on the down low. He's well-connected well-known, well-respected, very visible, very public. So for him to go see Jesus, and really, if he's curious and he wants to have a conversation, to do that publicly, to sit down, it's just not a good time. It's If he wants to have this conversation, this is he wants to have a sidebar conversation. He wants to have a quiet conversation out of the eyes of all that's going on. You don't do that in the middle of the day. You come, and you come in the evening when everything is kind of settled and and the eyes are closed. You can kind of do that privately. There's another part that goes on. And I think this is also key. I think he probably wants to have a little bit of an extended conversation with Jesus. I think he wants to kind of, kind of pick Jesus's brain. I think he wants to get a sense of where Jesus is, is and and who he is. And he calls him Rabbi. He treats him with respect because he sees things that Jesus is doing. And again, we're right on the heels of John's ministry, and so people are very attuned to the fact that God is at work, and they're very attuned to the fact that God seems to be reinserting himself and re-influencing the nation of Israel. And so there's this spiritual reawakening, this spiritual attunedness that's going on. And, and Nicodemus is seeing this ministry of Jesus he's, he's understanding this ministry of Jesus and so as he's walking through this in process there's, there's something here to investigate there's something here to explore because I'm not sure quite what God is doing but I, this guy might really be from God and, and he might be another God who's flowing right on the heels of, of John as, and God is doing something I want to find out what's going on and it's going to be tough to have an extended conversation with Jesus in the middle of the day why? Because all sorts of other people are also going to be vying for Jesus' attention. People are going to be coming up and saying, Jesus, can you touch me? Jesus, my, my, my child is sick. Jesus, can you do this? Jesus, can you do that? And so the, the chance to sit down, do you, you ever enjoy having trying to have a, an extended, serious conversation with somebody when there's all sorts of distractions that keep on popping in? It's, it's frustrating and so I think he kind of came at night because he wanted to have an uninterrupted and undistracted conversation. We then jump on to verse three. I love what Jesus does. He, you know, Nicodemus gives gives us. You can leave it on verse 3. I'll just, I'll just kind of roll into it from verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with you. And he kind of rolls into this, and he kind of gives this nice, polite, kind of dancing a little bit on the surface kind of thing. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus just kind of starts to go right to the core of things. He doesn't kind of dance around and play the chit-chat Thing, he starts to go right to the core of the conversation. And so Jesus replied, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the word born again has two different contexts. And I made that com- I made that note in our notes. It says you can be born again or born from above. So as Nicodemus is listening to us, he's processing this. He's trying to hear this. What do you mean born again, born from above? I'm, I'm somewhat confused. But Jesus gets right to the heart of the issue. Right to the heart of what the conversation is going to be about. And so Nicodemus goes, he says, How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him, Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Pause for a second. Now, is he trying to be cagey? Is he trying to be evasive? I don't think so. Jesus is introducing some topic of conversation that he's really not familiar with. It's kind of new now do you ever have a conversation with somebody and you're uh, in this conversation you use language and you kind of are using it figuratively and, and in your mind it makes a ton of sense and you kind of go through this conversation and, you, and, and you're explaining yourself and you're talking about this stuff and, and in your mind you're totally going down this track and the person you're talking to they are at this roadblock under, over here because you've used some language that they just don't get For you make sense? boom, you're down the road. But they're stuck over here because you just used the phrase, you've just maybe said something in such a way that I'm lost. Um, I think that's where Nicodemus was. This whole idea of being born again. Now here we are 2,000 years later. Check it off. We get it. Born again? Oh, come on. Who doesn't get born again? Well, the first guy having a conversation about being born again didn't quite get it. We read these verses year after year and, we grow and we're and weaned on these verses in different ways and we catch the language, you must be born again. But this is among maybe the first times that Nicodemus is really hearing this kind of language. You must be born again. Time out. Can you please explain this to me? Because I get the first time, I don't get the second time. I, I'm not understanding. And Jesus goes on. He says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now again, there's a conversation that goes on with this, and, and people get stuck, and, and people start to rack their head around this whole conversation of water and, And spirit. So, what do they mean? Are they talking about that physical birth and the tension of the physical birth versus the spiritual birth and and that whole conversation? I think, in my context of understanding, there's two pieces that go on. First, let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36, and you should see that there. So these verses fall into the conversation of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is talking about the restoration of the nation of Israel. Now, pause for a second. Kind of shift gears a little bit. And kind of put your head where Ezekiel is. Ezekiel along with Daniel, and we talked about Daniel a little bit ago, Daniel and Ezekiel were contemporaries. Daniel was taken in captivity to Babylon. Ezekiel was taken into captivity to a different area. But they were both of the same generation. And Ezekiel was part of the removal of Israel from Jerusalem and from, in the Promised Land. But as God has been working through him and, and, and working in his heart to reveal the future to the nation of Israel, part of what Ezekiel does is he has a conversation from God with the nation of Israel about their being restored to the land. Now again, pause for a second. Nicodemus is going to understand this. Nicodemus is going to know all about this because he is a teacher. He is well versed in the things of God. He's well versed in the scriptures. And he would be well versed in some of these verses in particular because it deals with them being restored to the land. And they, in a very real sense, had been restored to the land about 400 years or so previously. And so they're very attuned to that. They wrestled through the whole Greek oppression. The Maccabean revolt kind of gave them a sense of freedom and autonomy. Rome is still sitting there over them. But the language and the things that Ezekiel is talking about, they get it and they see themselves in some of this. And so Nicodemus is going to be in the sweet spot of Jesus' conversation. He's going to understand some of this. And as I listen to some folk talk about that, They would say that probably easily Nicodemus would be coming back to these verses in Ezekiel. Look at verses 25 to 27. He says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I, will move you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. And so when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born of water and spirit, He's probably going to track and understand, and he's probably going to think of some of this because he is the teacher. He's the student of the word. He's going to understand this. And again, I'm coming back to the context. He's also going to go back to the whole process of what John the Baptist has been doing. And what did John the Baptist do? He has been calling the nation to repentance. Calling, calling, calling. And how did he do that? He called people to come down to the Jordan River and to be baptized. In what? Water. Yes. So you must be born of water. The whole context, I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to do something new in your life. You must be born of water and the spirit, kind of what's going on in Ezekiel. I'm going to do new things. I'm going to place my spirit within you, and I'm going to do a new work in your heart and life. And then right on the heels, the whole issue, ministry of John the Baptist, this ministry of repentance, this ministry of being baptized in no water. Nicodemus should be understanding this. And so as I think of Jesus talking about this, I think he's talking about, first of all, that whole context of the water. That God is about to do something new in people's hearts and souls. But it's also something new that he's doing in individuals' hearts and souls that's also connected to issues of repentance. But it's also not just issues of God working in our heart and souls through areas and issues of repentance, but it's also something that God is doing that is the work of the Spirit. So if you... I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whoever is born of the flesh is flesh. And whoever is born of the Spirit is spirit. And he says to him, says, Don't be amazed that I told you you must be born again. Nicodemus, there's something that needs to happen inside of you. Nicodemus, there's something that needs to be transformed, that renewing, that requickening, that that new work of God that Ezekiel talked about, that new work of God that John talked about. You should not be surprised that there is something new that should be born into your life. You shouldn't be surprised at that, Nicodemus. And so, as I sit down here and I say, you must be born again, and you kind of look at me like a deer caught in the headlights, he doesn't understand headlights yet, how about a really bright lamp? You don't don't understand that yet, but Nicodemus, you should have understood that. You should have kind of got that. God wants to do something new in us, and he wants to do something new through us. Don't be amazed that I told you you must be born again. Now, I love this next verse. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, a couple things here jump out to me. First of all, again, as I said, we were in Ocean City this past week with Joan's family. We had a great time together with her family, and uh, I really enjoy her her brothers and sisters and, and nieces and nephews. It's a great time. So we get, I can't say back home, we get to the apartment yesterday, and we pull into the parking lot. Now, one of the things that I did, I used command strips, I made no holes, I had some wind chimes that I, hang, I hung on our balcony. And we don't get a lot of breeze where we are, but we get enough breeze to hear them once in a while. And as we pull in and as we parked, I'm getting out of the car, and lo and behold, what do I hear? I hear the wind chimes going. The wind is blowing. And I think about that as I think of this conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. We only get a, a kind of a flat picture here. This is kind of one of the fun things with motion pictures, a little bit, and, and, and maybe some of the fun stuff that maybe we'll see in a, in a drama presentation. You get to see some of the peripheral things that go on, and I kind of wonder, maybe in this conversation, as Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, if maybe a gust of wind doesn't come by or something like that, that prompts Jesus kind of shifting to this whole conversation about the breeze and the Spirit. But I think it's a really cool conversation. But it also fits what other scripture says at different times about how the Spirit moves like wind. Now, the other thing that was really cool... I had a conversation with my niece. And, and she's on a different journey. And, but here's one of the things that's really cool about her journey, one of the things I have really appreciated. I was t- telling John a little bit earlier, she's probably, as I've mentioned to you guys before, she would probably be one of those people that I would describe as my heroes of the faith. But one of the cool things about my niece in her journey is that she has lived, lived in this kind of way that's been not nearly as Western as most of us are. We kind of make a plan set a destination, and then work to get to that destination. And then we kind of get to that point. We say we kind of look around, we survey, say, okay, what's next? We make a plan, we kind of plan towards that destination. Her journey has been a little bit more like, okay, God, I think you're leading here, I'm going to go. And it's been really kind of cool. She's been on this journey right now, and it's been really clear that God kind of led her to where she is right now, but she doesn't have a clue what God is going to do after July. And that's okay, and she's really at peace with that because she knows that by the time she gets to the end of July, God will have filled her in on what it is that she needs to do, and she'll be ready to shift gears and, and go in the direction that she needs to move at the end of July. She, it's not the end of July yet. God hasn't let her know yet what, she, what she's doing, and I, under, I, I understand the bigger context of the conversation, and, and, but it's just really cool. She's just waiting and resting on God and how God will lead. I think that's really kind of cool. Cool. Now here's the tension that we have. We're not always so flexible, are we? No, we're not. We would like to know our plans much further in advance. But I love this conversation that Jesus is having because he says the wind blows where it pleases and it and you hear it sound, you don't know where it's come from, and you don't know where it's going, and so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And I love what he is saying because Nicodemus, you're trying to put God in a box. You're trying to confine what God is going to do with what you have experienced, with what you have known, with the things you have perceived. And so, Nicodemus, you need to understand that God doesn't function that way. God functions like the wind. And as the wind blows, the chimes hum, and then the chimes stop. And the wind goes left, and then it goes right, and then it goes up, and then it goes down, then it goes up, and then it goes up, and then then you don't know where it's going to go next, but it's going to go where it's going to want to go. Nicodemus, you're trying to put God in a box. And you're trying to predetermine who God is and what God is going to do. When Nicodemus, you need to be listening and feeling for the wind and adjusting your course based upon where the wind of the Spirit moves. And God is about to do something crazy new. He's about to fulfill his promises of scripture with what the Messiah is going to do. He's about ready to introduce some amazing things. He's about to introduce the turning point of history. He's about to introduce what all of history up to this point has looked forward to. And he's about to introduce what all of history after these events looks back towards. The fulcrum, the turning point of history is about to unfold. In Nicodemus, the Holy Spirit is at work, and you need to work to learn to become attuned to what the Spirit of God is doing. Now, I love what follows after this. How can these things be? I'm confused. I'm confused. Jesus replies, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Nicodemus. This is basic stuff. You should have been learning all along to learn to listen to God. You should have been learning all along to learn to listen to and hear His voice and to hear His leading in your life. You should have understood this long ago. And we need to continue to work at learning this as well. This is one of those things that's important for us on our journey to continue to be pliable and open to how God is going to work in our journey. Now, it should align with Scripture, and it should align with the Word, and it shouldn't be taking us outside of the context of our understanding of Scripture. It shouldn't be extra new revelation and all that kind of stuff. But God has a way of doing things and and arranging things that is new at times, and we need to learn how to be flexible And adaptable as God starts to work in our lives. It's important. Nicodemus, you should get this. Just as we should get this, we should be learning to listen to the work of God and the voice of God in our lives, the prodding of God. I have some notes there that you can kind of take note of. I won't focus on them now, but they're worth reading. I really appreciated the comments that these guys made. But let's keep on going. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. Now, something happens here. Jesus shifts from the singular to the plural language. Who's he speaking about? Here's my opinion. I don't think he shifts and he's talking about God and I. It's my opinion. It could be, but I don't think that's what's going on. I think he's speaking from the context of a prophet. And again, Nicodemus should get this because he is a student of the prophets. He is a student of the word. And so Jesus says, listen, truly I tell you, we speak of what we know as a person who speaks to you from God, as a prophet who comes and says to you, thus says the Lord. We speak from the context of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But Nicodemus, this is the problem. So God reveals things to us. He helps us understand what it is that needs to be communicated, and we communicate that. but you don't accept our testimony. And this has been a problem all through the history of the nation of Israel. And in fact, this has been a problem through all of history of time. And it's still a problem today because God still speaks. His word still declares. And unfortunately, people still refuse to listen. If I... If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Nicodemus, I'm, I'm explaining these things here and you, are, you hold me and hold others in suspect at times. So when we start to talk about heavenly stuff, what's going to cause you to shift and say, okay, now I'm going to pay attention? What's going to cause you to shift and say, okay, now, you've, now I'll listen? What's going to do that? If you're not listening here, you're not going to listen there. If you're not paying attention here, you're not going to pay attention here. If you're not trusting here, you're not going to trust there. You, you, we, we have told you what God has said. We've revealed to you the intentions and the, and the words of God, but you're, you're not listening. And, and so when we, what's going to help you shift that? you got to learn to listen. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, Nicodemus, if he has his theology ears on, which he should, because he's a teacher, he's a student of the Word, he's hearing what Jesus says. He is again identifying where he comes from. I'm not just letting you know what God has said. I'm here to reveal to you what I have seen, and I just don't come from here. I come from a place that you want to get to, I come from heaven. The Son of Man has been there. That's me. Jesus is letting us know about heavenly things. Jesus is identifying what we need to possess, what we need to understand to have that heavenly journey, that heavenly relationship with God, to get to that heavenly destination. The tension point is that as He and other prophets have spoken, people don't listen because they're not worth listening about earthly things. Not going to listen about heavenly things. But Jesus says, "You need to listen. I have those answers if you will listen." Then Jesus goes into this conversation about the serpent and the snake, which I think is outstanding, and I think, in all honesty, to really understand John 3:16, you need to understand the context of what is happening here. So look at verse 14. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So, turn with me, if you would, to Numbers. Chapter 24, verses 4 to 9. Numbers, chapter 24, 21, verses 4 to 9. So the nation of Israel, they have... Did I say that right, Numbers? 24, verses... 21 verses verses 4 to 9. The nation of Israel... Say that again. Then they set out. out. That's right. I know that. I'm going to get there in a second. (laughs) The nation of Israel has been freed from Egypt. They're on the journey to the promised land. You ever get distracted on a journey? Get frustrated on a journey? Now, mom and dad know where they're going. Dad's driving the car. He's got it in a GPS. He's on point. He's going. And then all of a sudden, from the seat, nah, I'm nah, 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 there yet. I'm there yet. I'm there yet. I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm hungry. Wine, 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 wine. Moses is taking him to the promised land. God is directing the path. In the backseat, a lot of whining is going on. That's when the hand starts to do this, right? And that whole proverbial thing don't make me pull the car over. Okay? Well, they made God pull the car over. All right? That's exactly what they did. It says then they sent out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom, but the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Who, why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water. We detest this wretched food. They don't like what God's providing. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, "We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that we will take so that he will take the snakes away from us." Now pause for a second. I love this part of it. When stuff happens in our lives and we get obstinate, we get stubborn and God brings things into our lives to re attract our attention and to remind us that we need him and to remind us that he is the one who is guiding our journey sometimes our response is now we've listened please take it away okay lesson learned remove it get rid of it so that life is good again but what happens sometimes when God takes it and removes it? We get back to, yeah, ye, 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 ye. Because we are losing the reminder of staying focused. We are losing the reminder of keeping our eyes on the Lord. And I love what God does here. He does not take the snakes away. He keeps the snakes present. Because the nation of Israel needs the reminder to listen and to trust and to follow. Now let me find my spot again. Verse 7. People came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord that he will take the snakes away. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake, and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Now imagine part of this conversation taking place around the campfires of the nation of Israel. This is stupid. What God is doing right now is just really dumb. Why do you just take the snakes away? Why do you do that? And on top of that, what medical reason would that, looking at that stupid snake on a pole ever have on making me well? There's nothing medical that works for that. There's not a shot, there's not a needle, there's not a pill, there's no medicine. This is pointless. Why? What, look at the snake and I'm going to be well? Come on. You and I both know that. We, we, you know, you know, we know Roger or Wilbur or Henry or whoever who got bitten and they died and they would look at the snake and they'd live? No way. That doesn't work that way. This is stupid. This is dumb. Guarantee you some of that conversation is going on. Now, other parts of the conversation is, listen, God is at work, and God is, all you need to do is think he's got to look. Oh, yeah, I hear you. Moses said that already. So, but what happens? Someone gets bit. Oh, doggone it! And they're going to jump around, and they're going to be stubborn. And they're going to think, I'll, I'll cut it, I'll get the poison out, I'll do this. I'm not going to look at that. It's so stupid to look at that snake, and it's not going to work anyway. And finally, as it's not working and and the things that they're doing don't work, they turn and they look at the snake. Okay, action of last resort. And it works. They get healed. See, it's an issue of simple faith, simple trust, but it also required the look. It's simple faith, simple trust. But they also needed to look at the snake. They needed to look at the pole that was set up in the middle of camp. That was a required part of the process. That simple act of faith, that simple act act of deference, of submission an acknowledgement that this is the pathway to healing. This is the pathway of having this snake bite not harm me. I must look to the serpent that's raised. Purely faith. There's not a single medical component with that raised serpent that healed anybody. Purely a faith act of the individual to look and turn their eyes, believing that God would heal. Verse 16 flows right on the heels of this conversation about this serpent being raised up. Let's look at verse 15. So, everyone who believes in him... Excuse me, let's go back to verse 14. Run into it, get the flow. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Life comes through the Son. Life comes to the one who is lifted up just as life was restored to those who looked at the servant, serpent. Serpent for God loved the world in this way he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life how many serpents did Moses fashion and put in the middle of camp one you didn't need multiple you just needed one And how many saviors needed to be lifted up to take our sin upon himself so that mankind's wickedness and sinfulness could be resolved and so that we could have a right relationship with God and be restored to relationship with God. How many people needed to do that? One. Put one finger down, just make sure. One. Just one. We don't need multiple saviors spread throughout, we just need one. And so... At the beginning of the AD period of time, Jesus is lifted up and so through all of history, where do we need to look? We just need to look back to that period of time. All we need to do is cast our eyes back onto that Savior who was lifted up. And as we would look to him and cast our eyes on him and put our trust in him for the forgiveness of sin. How does that work? I'm not sure I fully understand. I look at Second Corinthians 5.21 where it says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. Somehow in this process, God trades out our wickedness for his sinfulness. And Jesus took our sin upon himself as he hung on that cross. I don't know exactly how that exchange takes place. I don't know exactly how God applies Jesus' righteousness to my life. And how Jesus takes my sinfulness from me. I don't understand how all of that works. All I know is this. I need to look Jesus. I need to cast my eyes and my faith on Jesus and trust that Jesus' work on the cross of of Calvary is sufficient to deal with my sin and to bring me into a right relationship with God. Just as the Israelites, when they were bitten by the snake, needed to turn their eyes to that raised serpent and trust that God, however it was he was going to do that, would deal with the venom of that snake. He would take that venom away. He would heal them and allow them to live. Just like they looked to the Serpent, we need to look to Jesus and trust Him. It's in the same thing. The concept is the same. God understood our sin, and God understood the consequence of sin, the death giving consequence of sin. And we look to Jesus who God raised up and who was raised up on that cross so that we can have life and forgiveness. Simple faith, but you still need to turn your eye to Jesus. Just like the Israelites needed to turn their eyes toward the serpent. If we don't turn our eyes to Jesus, We don't find forgiveness. And if they didn't turn their eyes to the serpent, they were not healed from the bite of the snake. It killed them. Do you think there were some stubborn individuals in Israel who refused to look at the snake? Probably. We don't know that for sure. But I know human nature enough to know that there were probably some really stubborn people who said, this is stupid, I'm not going to do it. And it would kill them. Just as there are a bunch of stubborn people who say, I'm not going to look to Jesus. And it determines their eternity. Jesus continued. And I really enjoy and I really like the flow in the conversation that follows after verse 16. And it starts in verse 17. And many people are familiar with verse 16, but we're not as well versed with verse 17. It says, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus did not come to condemn, but he came to save. Let's go back to the serpents and and that serpent that Moses raised up. When Moses raised up that serpent... Was the purpose of that raised serpent to condemn? Or was the purpose of that raised serpent to give life? To give life. But the evidence of that serpent raised up on the pole was evidence of the rebellion and obstinance that drove God to send the snakes to bring about repentance and to bring about a change of behavior and to learn to trust him. The raised serpent was not there to condemn. It was there to give life. But it highlights the reality of the rebellion. Jesus, as he is raised up, and as he came, his purpose in coming was not to condemn people for their sin. And again, as we have walked through these red letters, again, one of the things I really appreciate about Jesus' ministry is overwhelmingly, we don't see see Jesus going, Mah! at people. You don't see that. You see Jesus telling the truth. You see Jesus walking people through things they need to understand. And he doesn't avoid and dodge big problems and he says to people, stop your sinning. But he doesn't come up with this big sledgehammer. He doesn't come with this heavy hand and beat up people. His purpose is not coming to condemn. His purpose is coming to give life. But as he is raised up and as he is held forth as that healing for sin, what does he do? He does identify and highlight the reality that there is a sin problem. He does highlight and identify that we have a problem with sin. And if we don't address our problem with sin, we're going to go into an eternity apart from God. Now the way we deal with our sin is not by trying to live better, not trying to do things differently. The first step in our dealing with our sin is looking at Jesus. As we look to Jesus and put our faith and trust in Jesus, just as a serpent was raised up in a nation of Israel, looked to that serpent for faith and trusted that God's promise of forgiveness and, 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 and health would, would work, so also we look to Jesus and rest and trust in that God's promise of forgiveness of sin, as we look to Jesus, will work. now. Things change after that. And this is what I love about the continuing part of this conversation. Because as you look at verse 18, it says, Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned. You get that, don't you? People are already condemned. This, the, the, the judgment is already there. The condemnation is already present. Jesus isn't showing up to say, you're going to hell. Jesus is showing up and saying, listen, you're on your way to hell right now. Your sin has separated you from God. God. Listen to me, Nicodemus. Listen to me, those of you that are going to listen, have this conversation with me. Listen to me and put your trust in me. And if you put your trust in me, I will rescue you from the destination you are already going towards. You are already condemned. And they're already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And he's having this conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, there's one who has come from heaven, and who's telling you about it, the Son of Man, but that Son of Man is also the Son of God. And you need to believe in that Son. You need to put your faith and trust in that Son. Now here's what's interesting in the story of Nicodemus. He does. Nicodemus does put his faith and his trust in Jesus. We don't know exactly when it takes place. But my hunch is it doesn't take place too long after this conversation. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds might not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the light, or lives by the truth, comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. I want to finish with this illustration. This is something we've talked about and we've done in the past, but I want to renew it and, and refresh it. So, many years ago, my grandpa made built me this cross, and I'm going to use it today. So this represents Jesus. This represents Jesus being lifted up. It represents the finished work of Jesus Christ, the cross. Okay? And you all know how a flashlight works. You know a flashlight doesn't shine from here to California. It goes a little bit of distance, and then it kind of fades out. And a flashlight from here probably won't even reach Main Street, but it might reach the, the, the back doors, and it might even reach the doors beyond that, but it probably won't go much further than that. A flashlight doesn't go as nearly as far as you like. Okay? But the light of Jesus, the light shines. And so this light of Jesus shines, but we also wrestle through the reality that most of the world is already condemned because of their sinfulness. And they're over here. They're far from God. Then we read those verses in the Bible to talk about those people who are not going to be in heaven. And there's a couple of places in particular where the scriptures walk through those verses and it says, and these, such as this, these people will not go to heaven. So as as John or others Or Paul, write those letters and make those statements. Is he saying because these people have rejected Jesus, they're going to hell? No, he's saying they're already on their death, their journey there, and they're not going to heaven because I've chosen to reject Jesus. They're already condemned. That's one of the things we need to understand. They are already condemned. And they're hanging out over here. And they don't want to get too close To the cross. This is how come people don't always enjoy the message of the gospel? This is how come people don't always enjoy having Christians around because Christians bring truth. Christians bring light, and we should bring truth and we should bring light. Because we should live by God's values and God's ethics. And again, what did did, did Jesus say at the very end? So that we can show as we are living near the cross and we're living near Jesus that our works are not accomplished by us, but these are things that are accomplished by God in us and through us. And so we're attracted to the cross, we're attracted to the light, and we're inclined to allow our lives to be changed and transformed because we are aligning ourselves and connecting ourselves with the finished work of Jesus Christ. But over here, as we shift kind of from where the light shines, we start to kind of get into this nebulous gray area where there's a little bit of light, but the, where that lightness and darkness start to mingle and that gray exists. As we shift through that and step into this place of darkness, people see the light and some are attracted to the light. But others resist going towards the light. And they resist going towards the light because the choices of their lives are sinful. And they know the choices of their lives are sinful. They don't like the message. They don't like what the scriptures say. And they don't like the values that the scriptures communicate. So they stay over here. And they avoid the message of the cross. They avoid the the Christian who represents the values of Christ. They resist it. They buck against it. They fight against it. Because those values are different and conflict with their own. And Jesus is identifying, listen, over here, they are already condemned. And the point is coming when judgment will ultimately be declared, finally. But they are already condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn Jesus came to be lifted up so that those who would see him and who would put their trust in him, they would be forgiven and they would have life. He did not come to condemn. He came to give life. Because here's the reality. Every single one of us used to live over here. Every single one of us. None of us was born there. We were all born here. And the only way you end up over there is by choosing to look to Jesus and to put your trust in Him. That's the only way you end up over there is by looking and choosing to trust now, just in that crazy way, you say, how can trusting and looking at that snake and believing that God is going to heal me from the snake bike work? It's the same thing. How can looking at Jesus and believing that Jesus is going to deal with my sin work? It's a faith step. It's believing that Jesus will forgive and that God will provide forgiveness. And we look and we trust and we start to move toward the light. And what's interesting is as we start to move from the light, some of those patterns and routines of light, of life, that were practiced in the dark, some of those things start to change. And we start to become transformed men and women because we want to associate and align ourselves with Jesus. And we want that wind of the Spirit that Jesus was talking about to work in our lives. And we want that Holy Spirit working in us to transform us and change us. We want that working that Ezekiel was talking about where our hearts would be transformed, where God is going to do things on the inside of our hearts, where he's going to transform the insides of us. We want that. And so as we move from that place to this place, God works in us. But Jesus was not here to condemn. Jesus was here so that he could be lifted up, so that he could draw people to himself. Now here's the good news. You and I, we get to be Pointers. we get to stand and say, Hey! And we get to help point people to the reality of who Jesus is. But also as we do that and we live our lives, the goal is that we are living our lives and what are people seeing is they're seeing the fruit of God at work in us. That's attractive stuff. To see transformed lives shaped by the work of God, people who are healthy and whole, have hope and joy and peace. Our world is looking for that. They don't find that over there. But it's found in Jesus, and you and I, we have the privilege to be heralds and pointers to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your rich goodness to us, your amazing kindness to us. And Father, as we shift gears today from talking about the message and we're going to get ready to close our service and, and head into the week, Lord, I would ask that you'd be at work in us. Father, helping us to recognize that we have the joy and the privilege of shining the light of Jesus. But maybe, Father, even there's someone here today who is saying, I have not yet really turned my eyes to Jesus and put my trust in Jesus, and I have not really yet reached, looked out to Jesus to provide forgiveness in my life. Then, Father, I would ask even today, right now, that you would motivate them and encourage them to turn their eyes to Jesus so that they can know your forgiveness and so they can know Jesus' righteousness as he exchanges that for their sinfulness. Father, be at work in us today, I ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen.